Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, why, why do we stack the deck against teachers? It drives me bonkers. And coming up yet later, there's so much talk about world trade, tariffs, about uh, barriers to trade. But what's really happening with the world economy and how's it going to affect you, your wealth, your wallet, and your job prospects? I want to give you an update. And right now I want to talk about basketball. We put up an item on Clark.com about how to watch March Madness if you don't have pay TV, if you don't pay the cable company's satellite company for pay television, how are you going to see the stuff? And I cannot believe how many people have been clicking on that story or interested in how to watch basketball. So we have that for you, but I just wanted to give you a brief scenario how you watch it. So a huge number of the games are on CBS, and CBS is making the games available for free with their app for your phone or your tablet. And also, if you get an antenna, go to Walmart or wherever, get an antenna, they start at eight bucks, hook it up to your TV, and all the games on CBS, you're going to be able to watch for free. And the great thing is if you get a good signal with an antenna, you'll get a much better picture on it than you've ever gotten from satellite or cable because it will come through not where it's been um, where it's been digitally compressed and then it opens back up. There's a, a degrading in the caliber of the quality of the picture versus what you'll get if you're just getting it with an antenna. So the next thing is that a lot of the games are on, I think, TBS, TNT, and True TV, which are all Turner channels. And so they are only allowing you to watch three hours of it before you have to pay in some way. So I've got information for you how you can stream really cheaply or free during March Madness because a lot of the streaming services offer free trial periods or specials where you can get like a month or something for a very low price like $15. So if you're really into watching March Madness, it's easier than you might imagine without paying the Cable Monster or DirecTV or Dish Network for you to be able to see all the games. So just know your money can stay in your wallet and be careful with all the gambling people do for sports. I do not get it. I don't understand it. I don't understand going to a casino uh, but I'm a pretty dull man, so <laughs> I just it's not my thing. So my son, who's 13, is a, a gamer, I guess you call it. He likes playing video games. And he recently got uh, knocked out of a group because we have abysmal internet at our home. There was a deal available from our phone company that 
was a two-year deal that was incredibly cheap for an internet connection at our home. And I signed up for it. And let's say I am not popular in the household with anybody in the household because our internet, when it works, is very slow. But the big thing is when it works. So my son kept costing his uh, allies in these games the game because our internet connection would go out right in the midst of playing a game. And this is obviously a first world problem. But the thing is, internet connections that are always on and much more powerful than we have now are on the way. And we're going to have the thing you keep hearing a lot about, but nobody really gets the parameters of this 5G that's being bandied about. It's going to change how we think about the internet where we connect to the internet and the speed at which the internet is available. And so the bigs of the data world are positioning themselves for, let's call it digital real estate, with the new much more robust and reliable networks that are coming instead of the inferior legacy ones from the traditional wired phone companies and the pretty decent ones from the cable companies, what's coming will blow past anything we've been used to. So Google rushed out an announcement that they are going to offer an online gaming system, and it will be what's known as platform agnostic. Today, gaming is an expensive thing because you have to pick what hardware you're going to use whether it's going to be PlayStation or uh, Xbox or it's going to be um, something from Nintendo or whatever. And then the game developers have to write the software for each system and have a type of uh, game cartridge that's compatible with each system. It creates a lot of inefficiency and enormous additional cost for you as a consumer. So what... Google rushed out an announcement about is they're going to offer one that you don't need any device in particular to play it on. They'll work on anything. And they don't have a lot of details yet for what's called Stadia. But the one thing they did say is it'll work on any Chromebook. <laughs> so what? But the, the thing is, Microsoft is also rumored to be coming up with a web-based platform that will work across any device. And Apple is about to make an announcement about a new video strategy they're going to offer that will also, rather than being necessarily proprietary, the idea is to attract customers within their orbit, and the rumors are outside of their orbit too, because we're moving back to an era where platforms are open. But for all these things to work... The internet has to be more reliable than it is now, faster than it is now, and cheaper than it is now. And you know what? All three of those things are going to happen, and that's the really good news. The bad news is if you have a family member who already is too addicted to devices, to games, to whatever on a phone or whatever, this is going to cause more problems in that area because it's going to be available everywhere at any time and it will be a lot cheaper. William is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, William. 
Hi, thank you for taking my call. Certainly, William. You're moving. I'm moving, and uh, I have a 529 plan in uh, my current state, and I'm moving to an adjacent state. And in doing research, there seems to be a wide disparity between the quality of a 529 plan among the ones that are offered. And my question is, uh, my research, I'm not able to easily conclude what, uh, if any advantage, moving my current 529 plan to my new state from my old state would offer. So the advantage of moving the plan would be if the new state you're moving to has a significantly cheaper plan than the one you're moving from. And uh, I'm looking right now, you live right now in the state of Tennessee? That's correct. So the Tennessee plan, you know, I've been through the legal filings of all the uh, non-commissioned plans in the country, and I like the Tennessee plan, but I don't like it as much as many other state plans. And that would that would tip the balance towards you looking at maybe where you've moved to, and you can look on my plan guide and see where the plan is in the state you're moving to, or you can even go to one that you don't have to put money in a plan of the state you live in. You can go to one of the very lowest cost plans in the country, of which there are now, I think, 11 ultra-low cost plans in the country. And so even though a state has to sponsor the plan, it doesn't mean that you have to be a resident of that state, except in a very, very rare circumstance in order to participate. But there is potentially an advantage to you putting money in the plan of the state you've moved to. And that is there may be a state tax benefit for contributions to the 529 plan of that state. So that not only do you have tax-free growth of money that you spend tax-free for an eligible education expense, but on top of that, you might have a tax savings as an incentive just to get you to put money in. And you'd have a choice. You don't have to move the money from the plan you've had it in to a plan you might migrate to, but uh, that way you eliminate more, you know, having to deal with two plans and all that if you were to consolidate into one plan after you move. Excellent. Thank you very much. All right, and uh, I hope your move works out well for you. You're going from a state with no state income tax, I hope, to another one with no state income tax. Paul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Paul. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Well, great to have you here, Paul. You're trying to help out a friend who's going through a tough lifetime. Yes, sir. Uh, Married for 11 years. Uh, His wife, unfortunately, has been in and out of rehab for about the last six years. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, I know. And he recently spent $18,000 in a rehab for her last year. And unfortunately, she has uh, again relapsed and She's emptied out their bank account. They had a car repoed. Um, They were evicted from an apartment. And uh, I'm just trying to find out a strategy for him to, because he's contemplating divorcing his wife. But in the meantime, I'd like him to have a strategy to separate himself financially from her, because he also indicates that he indeed loves his wife and he wants to support her um, emotionally. 
But as far as financially right now, he's he's drowning. You know, he's he's sleeping in his car. Is he getting any counseling anywhere? Um, even if he's broke, there may be a religious-based counseling he can get, or uh, community groups that offer counseling. Because it sounds like, I mean, just try to imagine living with an addict that you love, who goes through one episode after another, trying to get clean and they relapse uh, the emotional roller coaster of that the harm to his psyche is enormous right and unfortunately he told me the other day that they owe their therapist about four hundred dollars so he is not seeing his therapist any longer and that's why i decided to bend my ear and um i'm just trying to give him the best strategy i can all right then let me make this suggestion to him i want to deal with the psychological first Okay. Um, is that uh, there's a group called, is it Narcolon, like Al-Anon that's for people who are the family members of somebody who's suffering from an addiction. Um, mm-hmm. That would be a free support group for him to be part of. And it's great to be with people who are going through the same life journey or similar life journey to him. Right. And it's called Naranon. And dot org, And so that would be a way for him to get some of that emotional support that would be very valuable to him right now. Okay. As far um, as... I have... Su- oops, sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. As you said, uh, I've suggested. I've suggested that he open his own bank account so there are no longer... She can't access the paychecks that he is earning. 100%. Um, you are you are I, you are not partially right. You're completely right. He needs right. to, even then, if he wants to try to hang in there emotionally and be there for her, he's got to separate financially. Right, and then um, they are in debt for I believe about twelve to thirteen thousand dollars in credit card debt that he knows of. Um, and I suggested that he somehow freeze or put a hold on the cards that they own jointly so there's no more charges incurred right uh, as they pay them off right so well actually what he should do is contact the credit card companies and uh, his credit's already ruined from everything you said and Mm -hmm. close the accounts with the pending balances so that no more charging can take place she needs to be cut off this isn't a freeze or a hold it's just closed right because there is no equivalent with most issuers what you're referring to but he wants to close them and just be responsible for the balances um right and unfortunately that a lot of them are cash advances that she made on the credit cards so she could go buy drugs yeah yes so um it doesn't mean that she won't turn to stealing it doesn't mean she i mean an addict becomes desperate every possible way but he just has to do what he can to protect build a firewall of his finances from this point forward i would even suggest even though it's a little outside the ballywick i would like for him to go to an affiliate of the national foundation for credit counseling and Mm -hmm. talk to them about what things he should be doing to try to prevent further financial damage from his wife or right. in general? From his okay. wife. You know, what things they recommend under the laws of the state he lives in that would be additional protections. But I'm much more concerned about his emotional well-being and psychological well-being right now 
than I am about the money. He can pick up the pieces of the money, but the psychological harm he's suffered over these last six years is what I'm really focused on. But if it's if your area is about the money, I would get him in with somebody at the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, one of their affiliates, and talk through what are the best steps to prevent any more debts being piled up. And you're a good friend. I was going to talk about a ripoff of teachers right now, but I'm going to put that off for another day because I got to go back to Paul, who just called about his friend whose wife has been suffering from drug addiction the last five or six years. There's not one of us in the United States who doesn't know or know of somebody who has either died from drug addiction or is suffering from it. We as a country and as communities have to come together to do more for people who are suffering from addictions to help break this terrible cycle. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. And when you have a question for me, go to clark.com slash ask, and there's a little check mark there you can do if you want your question answered as best as possible directly by me, or we have many ways, including off-air advice available to you that's free to get questions to your get answers to your questions. Can I get that straight? All right, so here's something that is so much a part of the conversation around the world. And globalization is a dirty word now. Uh, countries all over the world are trying to push back against the internationalization of production, of business, and it's why Brexit was passed many years ago, although Britain can't figure out what they want to do about it, and uh, we've got the tariffs against China, and we've got the tariffs against steel and aluminum and all that, and there's a lot of this kind of thing going on around the world with reason. People react to what they feel is harming them, and for many people, Uh, production from a company moving overseas or whatever it is became a real hardship in their lives. The towns that have suffered because of factories closing. And so people want the jobs back. And when I say people want the jobs back, I'm not specifically referring to us in America. This is happening in country after country that people are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, we used to do this and now we don't. And so there is a strong political reaction in more than a dozen countries, probably more like several dozen countries, about this issue of how trade works and how jobs migrate. Now, I will tell you a very unpopular position I've always taken. I actually am a big fan of trade because from a strictly economic standpoint, when you allow the most efficient producer of each thing to make it, overall, the world and individual societies end up wealthier. But what people experience is their own personal loss and where somebody may lose a great paycheck and a great job for the individual consumer buying something, it's a tiny part of their life. So the impact is much greater on the person who loses a job or a town that loses a factory or whatever. And so trade is something that has been a flashpoint. 
But I want to tell you, regardless of what happens with the politicians, regardless of what uh, policies countries implement, the big push towards sending production from one country to another, one factory to another, is slowing down and changing. In fact, there's a lot of reversal of this, not because of political heat, but because of raw economics. FedEx just reported, I think it's yesterday, that their profits, again, are going to be less than expected because of a decline in expected activity for shippers moving things around the globe. And it's because for a lot of companies, and they're making individual decisions as companies from an economic standpoint, it has become cheaper for them and more efficient in many cases to have production closer to where the end customer is because the huge expense and delay that comes with hiring uh, boats, hiring airplanes, hiring trucks, trains to move goods from where they're produced to where they're going to be purchased by a consumer or a business selling to a consumer. And so there's one company that really changed the conversation among corporations around the world, and it's a company that's not big in the United States, but is gigantic in much of the world, and it's called Zara, parent company called Inditex, I think is how you say it. This Spanish company took all the assumptions about how you should manufacture clothing and sell clothing and turned them on its head. And where, if you think about the things that we started buying that were produced far away, usually in somewhere in Asia, clothing was like the first thing. And the shirt I'm wearing today came from India. And it's just typical that if you looked at your clothing items, you'd see where they're made in the world. And it's not here most of the time. So the parent company of Zara was like, well, this is dumb because it takes so long to get stuff that we think people want to the customer. So they took the whole system, tore it up, and came up with a manufacturing process that when their designers come up with a new clothing item, very heavy emphasis on items for women, they're able in as little as 16 days to come from a design garment to when it's in a store for women to buy where most clothing, there's a six to nine month lead time from when it's designed till when it's in the store. And so people learn from each other. Businesses learn from each other. And businesses learn from businesses all over the globe. And so companies are now pivoting, understanding that production in, for many items being much closer to the customer is a better thing. Now, I want to tell you, even as production comes back to the United States, the jobs in the factories are going to require a different set of skills than they required before because of automation, artificial intelligence, and various robotics. And that's why it's going to be so important for people who, in the past, could have, out of high school, gotten a good-paying job in a factory are now going to find that 
that it's necessary after high school to go to a state-supported technical college and get skills in robotics or some function related to production that will get you a higher paying job than a factory would have offered before. But you're going to have to have the skill set in order to get those. And there will still be goods that because the price advantage and items that require a lot of intensive labor and low cost, that those will still travel across oceans. But more and more, you're going to find that we're not going to be as focused on goods coming from far away because the technology has changed and the economics have changed and making things closer to home is just what's going to happen. Doug is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Doug. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate all the stuff that you do. Thank you, anyway, Doug. I'm looking. You're welcome. And I'm looking at um, what I should do when I rent the car. Um, my own auto insurance, I do not have collision coverage, but I do have li- liability. And, um, and does, that liability, I, I, does that liability move with you um, when you're in a rental car? Do they cover you for liability? With your yes, I believe it. I believe it does. Okay, make certain of that because that would be a wide exposure if your insurer doesn't cover you for temporary use of a rental car for liability. Okay. Now my question is: the credit cards that I use, they you know offer some coverage for uh, insurance on rental cars, but I'm just wondering if they would cover um, collision coverage on that rental car. Yeah, so what happens is that most credit cards, there are a few exceptions that do what's called primary, but most credit cards offer what's known as secondary. You would first manage a claim with your own automobile insurer for the damage to a rental car, and then whatever exposure out of pocket you have, the credit card steps in. In a case where you have liability only on your own vehicle, then the secondary coverage of a credit card becomes primary. And so they're the ones that end up having to pay to repair the vehicle. Now, what tends to happen if you have physical damage to a car rental is the car rental company will first bill some amount of money to your credit card, and then the credit card company works with you and them to process handling that claim for you oh okay but it's messy i'm not going to pretend it's not messy it, there is there is a period of time that usually will be somewhere six to twelve weeks that you're kind of in um i guess you'd call it purgatory where where you're not okay but you're not in terrible shape while it takes time for the in, the car rental agency and the credit card company claims department to process your coverage under the credit card. Well, I would be, you know, my first question then would be, what happens if my the limit on my credit card doesn't even get close to the charge the rental company puts on it? Well, the in that case, the car rental agency is the one that's left holding the bag for a while. Okay. So the good news, and let me ask you this, how long have you been a driver? Since I was 16, and I'm 61 now, so a long time. 
right? So in 45 years, how many wrecks have you had? Three or four. Okay. So think about that. That's one every, let's just say every 15 years. Yep. All right. So odds are when you rent that car, nothing's going to go wrong. But I love that you're thinking through what would happen and what hassle you'd have if it does happen. So you're thinking about this. with a big bill that I can't cover. Sure. But that's why having the secondary coverage with the card is the right thing to do. Okay. So I should uh, feel okay that the coverage from the card will, will take care of me. Yeah. I mean, feel good that it'll take care of you. Yes. After the awkward period. <laughs> okay. It will. It will. And that's why the car rental agency counter people, many of them are commissioned for terrifying you and say, oh, you don't want to involve your credit card. It's a mess. It's terrible. But it is a little bit messy. But usually... Financially, it's not going to be messy in the long term once it's settled, but in the intermediate term, yeah, it can be a hassle. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Clark. How are you doing today? Great, thank you. You have a completely different kind of insurance-related question, don't you? I do, and real quick, Clark, I just have to give a shout-out to my mom, who's the, uh, who's the one who got me started listening to you in the first place. Um, so really excited to have the chance to talk with you. So how old were you when your mom made you start listening to me? <laughs> Actually, not that long ago. She's been listening to you for quite some time, but I only started about two years ago. Oh, because I um, feel really but, badly for uh, people when they come up to me and say they've been listening to me since <laughs> elementary school. They were forced to listen to me in carpool, and I always feel bad for kids you know, who have to suffer. It hasn't, it, it hasn't been that long, but uh, she got me hooked now, so I'm a, I'm a fan. Thank you. Um, so my question today is actually around insuring jewelry. And I was curious, is it better to add your jewelry, like engagement rings, wedding rings, et cetera, to a homeowner's policy by adding um, a rider? Or is, it, or is it just better to carry your jewelry under a totally different policy um, entirely? Uh, the odds that something will happen with a piece of jewelry being lost or stolen is pretty low. And so I would add jewelry as a rider to your to your homeowner's policy, but I would not insure relatively inexpensive pieces of jewelry. I, I don't know what did you spend for your um, for your wedding band. In total, the total amount I'm looking at is around seventeen thousand, with like all the jewelry. All right, but individual pieces is where I want you to think through. Only schedule. Uh, separately with your homeowner's insurer, the expensive pieces, less expensive ones. Like um, when I lost my wedding band, I went to Walmart and bought a new one for $29. I mean, so I'm I'm really thrifty like that. (laughs) It looks pretty bad. I need a, a new one. I don't know what it's made of. It's not looking so good at this point. But the, the thing is the, the, the engagement ring I'm gathering is the big money. Correct. So that I would schedule with the insurer, but pieces that are smaller amounts, and I'd say anything that's a three-digit item, you know, under a thousand dollars, I would essentially self-insure those. Okay, and then it's okay to run the risk. I know you talk about having the claims against right. your homeowners. And yeah. So if you if you have a poses. if you have a ten or fifteen thousand dollar ring that ends up being lost or broken or whatever. It's worth the claim. 
Okay. So when I talk about, the, go ahead. Uh, I was just wondering how often you should get the, the jewelry appraised. So well. your, your insurer will guide you on what they expect in order to be able to carry that item. And if they're going to require the diamond, they're going to require a mapping by a graduate gemologist, what proof they're going to require in order to pay that claim if something ever did happen. So take the guidance from them, but really separate the jewelry and stuff that is not a big dollar value. Don't insure it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you go to clark.com slash ask, post a question, and sometimes producer Joel will ask your question for you. Clark, let's read Steve's. He says, I'm looking to invest some money into marijuana stocks to get into the ground floor, so to speak. What's the best way to find a stockbroker to help me do this? Most companies I find seem to be investment companies that want all your business. So uh, you can you can buy into marijuana stocks if you want just by downloading the Robinhood app or going to any discount broker, you're free to buy them. Uh, Robinhood, you'll pay no commissions to buy them. But the question is, should you buy marijuana stocks? And the marijuana market is still in its infancy. It's very difficult to know who the winners are going to be. This is very speculative, almost the point of gambling, getting involved in investing in marijuana. And so... If you're not directly involved in the business, it's probably too hard to know who's going to be a winner and who's going to be a loser. So any money you put into a marijuana stock needs to be money you can afford to lose. All right, Clark and David wrote in. He says, I'm looking to refinance an investment property. Do you have any recommendations of where I should do that? To refinance an investment property. All right. So refinancing an investment property is something that is more complicated than refining a personal residence. There are a number of mortgage brokers that specialize in investment real estate. If there's a local real estate investors club where you are, Google that, search for that. That's where you're going to find a ready supply of people who do that for a living, who specialize in it. Expect to pay three-eighths of a point to half a point higher in interest on a typical rental property refi versus market rates. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at clark.com and clarkdeals.com.